Jordan. And welcome to Date Night at the Movies. Or How I Spent My Babysitter Boy. And this week, we are talking about... Star Wars! <sighs> I wish. We yeah. are both wearing our ceremonial Star Wars shirts. Right. So I think it's important for me to say that was more of just like an in-joke for Jessica and I. <laughs> and that might not be the best way to run the podcast, but I did it and I stand by it. It um, happened and we liked it. Since The Force Awakens, we have spent every Christmas day eating Chinese food and going to see Star Wars. Correct. And this year they messed it up by, uh, by releasing Solo in May. So we were like, what are we going to do? And so the obvious answer was go see the Dick Cheney movie. (laughs) Obviously. So this week we're talking Adam McKay's Vice. Yes. Um, Uh, Real quick, drink drink of the podcast. Um, Big old tall glass whiskey. Yeah, we both slammed a shot of whiskey after seeing this movie because this movie is not a comedy. It's a horror movie. Yes. And I, for one, am stressed out. Yeah. Um, and we are recording this on Christmas Day. Yes, we are actually recording it in the middle of going to do another movie on yes. Christmas Day. Because that's just how we like to spend Christmas Day. And obviously, we like working. Yeah, yeah. We, we figure <laughs> a lot of people are working on Christmas Day, so we should too. And that sounds really douchey to say out loud. Yes, so we are working today, bringing you this podcast, which we're very excited to do. Um, because we do see we do see movies on Christmas. Mm-hmm. Um, and the theater today was packed. Yeah, we were like front row. Almost. Yeah, which we are very much back row sitters. Right. Um, the great news that this was not an action film, because I don't know if I... I hate action films on the front row. Right. I Like, my brain and eyeballs can't handle we, it. We saw Fast 7 in the front row, oh. and like it was still a great theater-going experience, but after a while, we were just like, ugh. I think I closed my eyes to big chunks of it, because my... I could my brain was like, I can't see it anymore. <laughs> I can't put my arms Just down. Just be led through the story by the sounds of family. Right? Yeah. Um, so a little bit of housekeeping as we go into talking about Vice. We've actually had some really quite fun uh, movie-going experiences. And I think having another wonderful movie-going experience on top of that has really kind of built all of this up. Because um, we've kind of had some, you know, we've been batting it real low. So um, we saw a Christmas story mm-hmm. um, on the big screen. Which was the first time any either of us had ever just yeah. like, sat down and watched the movie. Because it's always well, on... Well, I have sat down and watched it, but on the big screen. Right. Yeah, I've never seen it on the big screen. But I know like in my house, a Christmas story is always just... It was always just playing in the background. Because like TBS would loop it for 24 hours. Mm-hmm. Um so it was the first time we got to do that, and it was a great movie-going experience. We almost did an episode just based on that. Right. Um, we, I will say, however, it was a very singular experience of a film. We are both white, and we grew up in families that that's how our Christmas went. And so it was, it was very apparent looking around me, you know, there wasn't a lot of families of color so to me, it was really interesting experience as opposed to de- to, de- to today. I mean, the theater was packed with a wide array of races and denominations, people celebrating Christmas, people not celebrating Christmas. So that was kind of 
a very big dichotomy mm-hmm. to experience, and which was fun. Um, but we did see a Christmas story in a vintage theater. Yeah, it was the Franklin Theater in Franklin, Tennessee. We went yes. back. We were staying with her parents, and we both grew up in the Franklin, Tennessee era area. And we grew up, or at least I grew up, going to see movies at the Franklin Theater. Mm-hmm. And you know, it it's been there for something like. 50, 60 years, something like that. Something like that. Um, and growing up, it was always like the dingy theater. You know, they mm-hmm. they shoved like four theaters into this little area. Um, they literally had like speakers on the sides of the wall, like, and the screens were small and the seats were uncomfortable. And the one good positive movie going experience I really remember doing there was um, was back when I was in high school, they got a print of Friday the 13th Part 3 in the 3D print of it. <laughs> it's hysterical. So I went and saw that at that dingy little theater, and that was great. But then a few years ago, they just, like, because the theater was about dead, and I think yeah. I think they were going to sell it to somebody. So the local business owners in the city... Well, there was of, a campaign to save yeah. the Franklin Theater. But, so, you know, the people of Franklin were donating to the theater, and then local business owners came in and kind of, like, revamped it and took it over. And now there's just one theater in there it is art decoed out it is it's comfortable beautiful. it's spacious it's beautiful um yeah i just i can't say enough good things about what they've done yeah. with the franklin theater so as you know we tote all about a good movie going experience and that was definitely one of them so if you're in the nashville area definitely if there's something playing at the franklin theater uh try to go see that they do a lot of live events too yeah they do like a lot of concerts they do stand-up comedy they have like a, a children's community theater that oh, performs that's right. there yeah so we got to tout about our ho- our hometown what mm-hmm. else did we watch this week we watched the holiday of course right we watched the holiday we watched um arthur christmas we did that today christmas morning yep uh we did um love actually yes my mom my mom and my dad haven't seen that in ages, so yeah. it was kind of a new movie giving experience to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and my dad was so funny; he was like so, he was like up and down with the movie. So I feel like it was fun watching him react to it. Yeah, and it's he was definitely so not con- his type of movie. No, and he was so confused. He's like, "Why are there porn stand-ins? Like, I don't get it." And we were <laughs> like, eh, "It's a movie thing. It's a, it's just a movie." But um, I kind of it was so fun to watch holiday movies. That wasn't just. You and I, or whenever you're not in the, you know, the mood for a sappy chip flick, um, which I'm still owed Bridget Jones. Yes, you are. By the end of the year, but that'd probably be uh, me, myself, and I movie going experience. Well, we'll see. Yeah. Um, so we've had a lot of fun watching things. So moving on to Vice today, I was actually, when we were trying to decide what we were going to see, I really, I wanted something to dig my teeth into. I didn't. I was I. You, you had a Jordan moment. Oh, what's that? Which is I can't just keep watching the same fluff over and over again. Yeah. I I need to be challenged right now. Right, and I I definitely was like I I feel warm and fuzzy. We have been traveling for five straight days. Mm-hmm. We work full time. We are tired. But I woke up this morning and it was it's a beautiful Christmas day here. The dogs. Um, by the way, we have. Both dogs of the podcast. It's a Christmas miracle. I know. It's a happy Festivus, everyone. Happy Festivus, indeed. And next will be the airing of grievances, <laughs> and it's called Vice. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no. If uh, and if you guys hear a bunch of like extra bumping this time, I'm not going to try and take it out because the dogs. Honestly, they just haven't seen us in like three days, so they're very much like, "What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? Yeah. Can I be here?" So I'm not going to stop them from bumping the mic stand. Just housekeeping out of the way right now. Yeah. 
Um, so, but I woke up this morning very much ready to dig my teeth into something. And I just, and, and we've been listening to a podcast in our travels. We've actually been traveling for five days. Yeah. Um, we've been listening to Serial. And season three is based out of Cleveland. And it's basically following a courthouse as opposed to one major event. Yeah. A, a good way that I heard them describe it is that uh, the first two seasons of Serial, you know, they did the case around Adnan Saeed, mm-hmm. who was, a, you know, Everybody's heard that podcast at this point. And the second one, they did Bo Bergdahl. Uh, Which I have not listened to. Yeah. Uh, so they focused on extraordinary cases. And this time they were like, well, we've been only focusing on that. There is a lot of day-to-day stuff that happens within the confines of the law that doesn't get reported on. Yeah, and it's brilliant. Yeah. But I guess kind of what has kind of really been in my mind is... it. This podcast, we pause it constantly. We're only, we've had, you know, hundreds of hours of travel at this time, it feels like. And we're only in, what, episode five? Yeah. Because we pause and we talk about it. Mm -hmm. And so it made me really excited to wake up today, you know, to pause our life and come to the podcast and and talk. And I knew that we would want to talk about this movie. Um, So how do we want to rate Vice? Uh... Darth Vader hearts? Um, Darth Vader heart? Yeah. What's a Darth Vader heart look like? <laughs> Dick Cheney's heart. <laughs> <laughs> um, gosh. Yeah, we can do... Yeah, let's do that. What would you rate it in? Honestly, I'm going to give this one like four and a half. Mm. Yeah. Maybe four and a quarter if I'm being more realistic, probably. Why? Because... It's not the most perfect movie I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. And even when I was watching it, I was thinking, I didn't like this as much as I did the big short. But okay. I was so disappointed that it was over. Oh, totally. And I want to watch it again. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, I don't think it's quite as focused as the big short was. Well, this was a bigger bigger story. Right. But like... The you know, big short fits into this. Yeah. But like, like this one kind of... it. Its focus was a little more muddied. I think it tried to cover a lot of ground in ways that didn't always work. Right. But I don't care. Um, totally. The performances were great. I loved the music. Uh, I liked how big of a swing he took. To me, The Big Short, that was one of my favorite movies of 2015. Oh, easily. Um, and I've watched that movie like three or four more times. Oh, have you? Yeah. Yeah, because I think it's still on Netflix. I, I've been really wanting to watch it again. Well, maybe that's what we'll do on, on day after Christmas. Okay. Um, but like, but like this, this one, I would, sorry, Charlie just pushed my mic stand back. <laughs> I would say the big short took a huge swing and it hit a home run. Mm-hmm. For me, this one was a solid double, maybe a triple. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, sorry, we're also, like I said, we're about to go see another movie as soon as we stop this recording, and so we grabbed our t- Chinese food, and like I ate mine while I was setting it up, and Jessica's fi- just finishing hers now. I'm so sorry. So, I would give this, like you would, a four, four and a quarter star. Mm-hmm. This is a movie I think I'm going to like over time. Yeah, I think it's going to sit with us. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like the, the way Adam McKay is using storytelling right mm-hmm. now. For the big short in this, um, his use of imagery really sends things home. I think his next movie can't really be done in quite the same way. Well, you know what they're talking his next movie might be? What? Guardians 3. Ooh, interesting. Yeah. 
And I hear that they're still thinking about using the James Gunn screenplay. Right. Uh, which, you know, that's a whole other conversation that Jessica and I could get into because we actually both do like the Guardians movies. And we like what well, James... Well, I like the first one. The second one's okay. It's fine. Yeah. But, but like, we could talk about the James Gunn thing all we want. But at the end of the day, I think that it would be wrong of them not to use his screenplay. If it's yeah. as good as everybody says. But I would be interested to see what Adam McKay does with that. I would too. I mean, he comes from, you know, Anchorman, Talladega Nights. Like these movies that really kind of have set up a lot of the way comedy is being, being told now. Mm-hmm. Right? He was very influential in the comedy scene. Um, and so I love, he, I love his narratives. But I feel like his next narrative. And I mean, even after Guardians, whenever he's doing his own thing again. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like that this might become a trope as opposed to a really very imaginary and forthcoming way to tell stories. Um, the other reason I think I'll like this movie over time is the way that I think about the big short, the big short rocked my world. Mm-hmm. It rocked my world and it changed how I started reading the news. It changed it changed my understanding of why it was so difficult for us to buy our house. Mm-hmm. It changed my understanding of some of the financial decisions that we've made. We were kids when all of this went down. We were very young. Mm-hmm. And I haven't learned a whole lot about it. But I'm kind of feeling right now how I feel after First Man. My reading list, by the way, you guys, after First Man is long. Yeah. So I'm still tackling things. But now I want to add reading about what was going on in this time during a time when I we were innocent and ignorant and you know not understanding all of the world around us and now right. I want so one thing I said after the movie is right now Adam McKay's movies change me yeah. and I feel changed after watching this film. I think Adam McKay has kind of snuck up from behind and become one of our most important modern American filmmakers. I agree. Um, maybe that's hyperbolic. Maybe that's a little overly dramatic. But, I think it's a little overdramatic. But that's genuinely the way I feel at this moment in time. Well, and I, the reason I also am not over here being like, you're going to regret saying that. I actually agree with you because... How how many times does somebody that you know in a week says shake and bake? Yeah. Right? So, you know, so do you know how Adam McKay got his start? Tell me. So, he was first, like, a junior writer on Saturday Night Live. Oh, totally. Yeah. He became head writer after Tina Fey left, I believe. Oh. Yeah, so Adam McKay, for a while, was the head writer on Saturday Night Live after Tina Fey went to uh, 30 Rock. Mm-hmm. Um... And, you know, the whole time, even before then, like, you know, he directed Anchorman. Uh, he basically co-created Funny or Die with Will Ferrell. And, I mean, yeah. I love Funny or Die. Yeah. Uh, and everybody knows, like, the landlord and... Oh, oh yeah. And he, oh, that's yeah. his daughter, Pearl. Yeah. yeah. Um, the landlord and good cop, baby cop. Those things are great. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then, you know, he did Talladega Nights. He did... What was the Will Ferrell movie with Mark Wahlberg where they're cops? Oh. Uh, like... The nice guys, was it? Or the good guys? or uh, No. Oh, I don't know. Because those are modern... Oh, no, nice guys was Shane Black, yeah. I don't know, but yes. Yeah, but um, but he did that. Uh, you know, he's he's worked as like a script doctor on a lot of stuff. Uh, like we talked about last week in Elf. Um, he was an uncredited script doctor on Elf. Uh, he co-wrote the Ant-Man screenplay. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And then he did Anchorman 2. And the whole reason he did Anchorman 2 is because he really wanted to make the big short. And he couldn't he couldn't get anybody to give him a shot at it because everybody knew him as the Talladega Nights guy. Right. Uh, so he so to do a movie about the recession. Yeah. So the studio uh, I can't remember which studio was behind both of those, but they said, "Listen, we will let you do the Big Short. We'll let you do your drama. You have to make Anchorman two though, because they had been begging them to do Anchorman two forever." Gotcha. And he was like, "Okay, that's what we'll do." So they just got together and had some fun with Anchorman two, made the Big Short and won an Oscar. You know? Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, and uh, yeah, I just, I just think he is an important filmmaker and things that he's telling about. And I mean, that's, this is gutsy. Yeah. He just told a story that was very revealing and none of it really shocking. Let's be honest. We, none of this was like, well, that's not true. There were a few things that I was like, oh my God, that I didn't quite realize. So before we get into those moments, I think, uh. We should do an important disclaimer here. Yes. So Jessica and I try really hard to keep, you know, our political views out of here. I know they've kind of seeped through every so often, but you know, yes. we don't want to alienate anybody. We, you know, we do this not because we're trying to convince you of one thing or another. We just want to share our love of movies with you. Um, and we want to share our love or hatred, basically just our passion of whatever movies that we're seeing. We want to share that with you. This movie... Obviously, it's inherently political. There's no way around it. And you either agree with the things that Bush and Cheney did during the 2000s, or you don't. There's there's typically not a whole lot of gray area with them. Jessica and I definitely have our views on them, and we know that a lot of people who listen have a different viewpoint, and that's fine. Uh, Right. So there's going to be no way for us to avoid some of our bias, because also we kind of agree with the viewpoint that this movie takes. So... If you are looking to avoid like a political podcast, um, or if you don't, if you this is just an avenue that you don't want to go down, we totally understand and support that. And you know, we highly recommend go back and listen to Elf because that was a fun episode that we did. Yeah, um, and the, we have a lot of episodes, and we'll be back next week with another one. But like we said, if if politics just make you angry. Um, we totally understand. We, we we support you sitting this one out. Now, what I will say though is that we both discussed it, and we are both going to try and keep our uh, our own inherent anger at some things very leveled out, and we're not going to let ourselves go down any type of rabbit hole. And if we do, I might even just edit it out. Well, Be- yes, and if you hear ah, from either one of us, it's yeah. a friendly reminder that we have gone off the rails and we need to get back on track. Yes, because Be- we, we love you guys for listening, and we don't want to just piss anybody off, but this is a movie that might inherently do that. You know, we'll come back with something light like Schindler's List next week. You oh, know, hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. Um, but I will say, if this is if this movie challenged you, I I support. If you keep listening, keep on this ride with us. Um, also, we have the Facebook page and the Facebook discussion board. That if this movie just makes you want to talk about it, that's kind of the whole point of this too. So, um, if you did see this movie and you're interested in hearing this perspective, we invite you to to stay with us. Yeah, but. So disclaimer over. If you want to check out, we support you. We love you anyway. If you want to come on the ride with us, let's go on the ride. And here we go. Woo hoo! Next stop, my thighs. <laughs> it is Christmas. Yeah. Um. 
Gosh, okay, what to talk about? Um, so, there's no spoilers in this movie. Yeah, here's the thing, is that the movie covers ground that we've been watching on the news for the last 15 years. So spoilers might be interspersed throughout here, uh, but it's not really a movie that is driven by plot necessarily. Right. However, one thing I will say, we, we know we have listeners all around the world, um, and for all of you who are joining us today... Um, what I will say is if you are very curious on why and how American politics are the way they are today, mm-hmm. find a way to see this film. Yeah, this movie explains a lot of where we are in American politics. Right it now. explains to you um, Ronald Reagan all the way up. To forty-five, well, like it. Let's just let's just put this, the, and they use this in the movie. A campaign slogan of Ronald Reagan's was "Make America Great Again," and I just leave that before you. Right. So I will say for um, our friends who are you know who listen to see if this is a movie they want to go see, um, I will say if you are in a different country, pause us and go watch it because um, we're gonna make a lot more sense to you. I think. Yeah. So. One criticism I'd heard before going in here, and one of the most vocal places I'd heard it, was uh, I follow Lexi Alexander on Twitter. Mm -hmm. And if you don't, I highly recommend you do. Not only is she just a fantastic filmmaker, and it's really unfair that she never got a true shot in Hollywood after her Punisher movie. Yeah. uh, But she's also, if you like to stay woke... And you want your woke beliefs to be challenged? Follow her because <laughs> your eyes got really big every time you said woke. Well, that's be- I hate that word, but it's a good way to get the point across. <laughs> um, no, but like there are a lot of things in there where, like you know, I thought that I was feeling pretty progressive on things, and I listened to her say something. It's like, oh wow, I did not go deep at all. Right. So one thing I had heard her say because Je- both Jessica and I were very excited about seeing this movie. Yes. And I remember hearing her say, who is this movie actually for? Um, and she she was just like, maybe maybe one day uh, we'll make a movie about Donald Trump and turn it into a comedy and not uh, and not focus on anybody whose lives he's ruined. Uh, and I was just like, oh, oh yeah, that that does kind of put things into a little bit of perspective. So I was kind of guarded going into this movie, okay, because I didn't want to. You know, I realize it's like, oh, a lot of things I personally think... The dogs are fighting right now, by the way. That's not something I personally think. That is something that's actually happening. Yes, the... the uh, Again, we've been on the road for a long time, so we're having some family time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you yes. were you were concerned. I, I was pretty I was pretty guarded because it's like, oh, yeah, well, you know, like, there, there are things you can make things funny. Like, Goodfellas isn't a comedy, but Goodfellas has some darkly comedic things in there, right? Well, yeah, but I mean, so, we but, were... Well, we were just listening to um, the Unspooled podcast about It's a Wonderful... Was it It's a Wonderful Life or Schindler's List about it being a comedy? Schindler's List. And um, Paul Shear and Amy Nicholson take the stance that um, Schindler's List is a comedy. Well, they don't say that, but they say that there's very comedic moments. No, they, they, they took the stance of almost like it was overly comedic and I disagree so I will say this movie being comedic makes it palatable well that's just what I was about to say so um 
So in the first five minutes, I was like, oh, they're not glossing over that at all. And it's not just talking about like, you know, oh, how has this affected white people? Like there is one particular scene in here where it's uh, George W. Bush getting very nervous about like addressing the country, about him starting to bomb Iraq. Yeah. And then the camera zooms down. He's tapping his foot nervously under his desk. And then it shifts over to a family in Iraq hiding under their dinner table because there are bombs going off all over the place. And the father is nervously tapping his foot in the same way. So within the first five minutes, you realize that this movie isn't glossing over things like that, and it isn't pulling any punches. Right. I actually didn't. I didn't feel that it was overly comedic. I felt I, to me it wasn't nearly as comedic as The Big Short. No, not at all. Um, there were comedic moments in delivery and in storytelling, but I. I don't know this movie. I I looked at Jordan about a quarter way through. And I went, and he was like, are you okay? Because I was tapping my feet. And I went, I am so stressed out. Mm-hmm. I was so stressed out. So to me, this movie wasn't glossy at all. No, it, 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 definitely, it definitely drove home the consequences of these actions. But the trailer makes it seem like it's more of an overt comedy than it actually is. I agree. and But um, it has to, though. And you had brought that point up. Yeah. Um, I will say they have this metaphor of fishing. And I read a review. They were just basically like, it's basically using um, from the book Angler that basically was using that from. However, it took something of of Cheney's life. And I don't know, like... Maybe the maybe the argument is this movie is over symbolic and over metaphorical, mm-hmm. but I just thought it really kind of it drove the narrative home. Um, I don't know. I just thought it was really creative, and one of the in that same review was stating that uh, you could see its twists and turns. Mm-hmm. For example, kind of in the middle of the movie, it takes a break. And set in like in a perfect world, if the if the movie had ended here, it, that was excuse me, that was brilliant. I thought it was brilliant too. And this reviewer said that was so obvious. Well, I mean, yeah, it was. And I even mentioned in there at one point, I was like, oh yeah, this is where most movies would uh, would end. And R- then and right. then like it starts it starts doing like you know the overlays of how like you know like you know Dick Cheney could have chosen public life instead he chose his daughter and like how his wife writes you know all these novels and they raise award winning golden retrievers and then you know that's whenever I started to catch on the joke and then they started rolling the credits and I mean I just. I just thought it was brilliant. And you know what? Yeah, you know that that's going to be the joke because it's 45 minutes in. Oh, it's 45 minutes in. Plus, it like they it says that he stayed out of his career and whatnot. And I was like, wait, did I miss all of that? And then the credits roll. And it's it's just funny because there's a moment where you... Where we all... There's always a chance in all of our lives that if we had just made a different choice would things have been better? Mm-hmm. And that's definitely a turning point. Like they could have made those choices and those choices that, you know, he continues to make, he is a, you know, from what we understand is estranged from the daughter that he fought for. Mm-hmm. Um, in 2016, his, his other daughter betrayed her own sister to yeah. get election, you know, get elected in 2016. And, and they did horrible atrocities. Um, but also something very poignant about this film, there was a few, there's two moments that really hit really hard for me. One was seeing the twin towers go down on the 
big screen. Yeah. That was a lot. Mm-hmm. I remember watching that at school and wondering what was happening. On like little 12 inch monitors that we had in and like were the really top corner fuzzy. of the room. Yeah. And everyone was so scared. Yeah. And that was really poignant to me. Um, and then to learn what was happening in the bunkers bothers me to no end. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was really poignant to see that. I, You know, we've seen 9-11 movies at this point, but that was footage. And it wasn't a dramatization about that. It was about people's reaction to that. Yeah. Um, and I thought Christian Bale's... I mean, we'll talk about Christian Bale because I think he was just We we have to talk about all the performances separately, I think. Um, The other thing that was really poignant to me, at the very end of the movie, uh, they took this moment where Cheney addresses the fourth wall. That... The very, very end. mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, uh, that's... Something I want to talk about whenever we get to my IMD being. Well, I want to talk about that right now. All right. I want to talk about it. That's why I brought it up. Okay. <laughs> well, no, I, I meant there was a point about that that I oh, wanted to bring up. Um, it was really poignant because we have to have some sort of self-conviction to make choices. Mm-hmm. And I have no doubt that there was a point of we have to do something. And, you know, and these people have to pay for what they did. However, it was not calculated risk it, from what I am learning. Yeah. This was what their choices were not actually calculated and made off of facts. But that him addressing the fourth wall and really addressing us after having watched all these things to say I was an honor to be your servant. It was like... Oh man, this is so complicated. Well, and here, here's my, here are my thoughts on that. Because at first, I was disappointed that they did that. Um, I was really uncomfortable. Yeah, the whole because time. because I didn't want to let them, I didn't want them to let him off the hook. And then, but I don't think that's what that did. No, that's where I'm going. Oh, okay. Um, I didn't want them to let him off the hook. What I, so I was pretty uncomfortable with that, like you just said. And then it immediately went back in and started talking about 600,000 Iraqi citizens died. Right. You know, like 4,300, 4,400 uh, U.S. soldiers died. And all these other things that happened. Halliburton's stock went up 500%. Right. Um, so to me, that was almost like, okay, we're going to let Dick have his say. But here's, here's what that actually means. Correct. You know? And I, I appreciate all the facts. I don't sometimes appreciate like blurbs at the end of movies like say your piece in your film uh-huh um uh the movie about alan turing that we love yeah. the uh, uh the imitation game love yeah. love 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 that movie mm-hmm. the end scroll ruins it well i so, think I, the end scroll and the imitation game uh because, from a story perspective, it didn't need that, you know. No. And it, it said, it said what it, it said what it needed to say in even, the even in story. Com- yeah, and even commenting on the bigger picture of that, of how like, of how Alan Turing wasn't the only homosexual who was persecuted by the government, no matter what they did. 
Totally, and, but we got that. Yeah, we got that. And then they end up with a blurb that almost felt a little after school specially. Yeah. And maybe if they had just written that better, it would have been better, but like Well, it just all of a sudden t- it made us it made me be like Yeah, I gathered that from the narrative you just told me. Why did Yeah. Like why and it also for people like uh, some people in my family, they read that and they were just like, why'd you have to go and make it political where you could have, or made it personal like that Yeah, where they felt bad enough. Cause I've heard people say before that rolled, I can't believe that was done to people. Yeah. And, and then you, then it's so blatantly stated. Yeah. The one of you stated it blatantly like that people who might not already be on board or uh, understanding. Yeah. Who, who all, but they had already felt that way because of the story itself that immediately gave them out and out to be like, well, I liked it before it got all political. Right. And so, um, but I appreciated the, the kind of the end scroll on this is because those are really harsh facts and it was being poignant with that fourth wall break. Yeah. Um, the, it, everything about that, the blurbs before it, then his breaking the fourth wall and then the blurbs after it, all served a singular purpose. Correct. Because, I mean, you know, the movie does portray a complicated, not super complicated, because Cheney is, uh, in this movie, in the context of this movie, Cheney is the bad guy. And... Well, I mean, even more so, he's the hero, he's the hero of his own tale. Yeah. But... And it definitely plays it that way. It plays it as he thinks he's doing the right thing all the time, even whenever he knows that he's breaking the law. But... But that it shows the wider ramifications but of what even it is he's more doing. so, like you. So they're talking about uh, Anthony Scalia, mm-hmm. and um, so I've been watching a lot of documentaries on Netflix lately, and on Roe v. Wade or uh, reversing Roe, rather reversing Roe, they talk about people who study under Scalia's version of politics mm-hmm. is his specific way of interpreting the Constitution. Yeah, which is fascinating to me. Um, because it's, it's, I don't understand how you, it's not like a poem, right? Right. So what's fascinating to me about this too is they are looking at the law that benefits them. The version of the law, the poem that they read, they decided that mm-hmm. that's what it meant to them and, and applied it. Well, and from a story perspective too, that is the moment in this movie where Cheney truly realizes his power. You know, the, sto- the story arc yeah. of this movie is very similar. To- Did you ever see W, the Oliver Stone movie? No. It's not great. Oh, okay. Um, Josh Brolin plays Bush pretty great. And uh, they have uh, Richard Dreyfuss playing Dick Cheney. And they literally give him like a Darth Vader speech- style speech in there at one point. And whenever I saw the movie, I was like, that's pretty ham-fisted. And then watching this one, I was like, oh, that's not as far off as I thought. <laughs> uh, but... But... Overall, the movie's not great, but it does start off with like George W. Bush being just like a royal screw up, uh, and then eventually kind of like falling backward, like like failing upwards, essentially, you know. Yeah. Uh, and it was interesting to see the parallel of that with Cheney in this movie, because Cheney started off as a guy who got kicked out of college for partying too much and kept getting arrested for DUIs and things like that. Was it? Well, I mean, his own wife was like, "I will leave you." Yeah. And then, so he just starts off as an intern and uh, for an intern for Donald Rumsfeld, right? And under Nixon, under the Nixon, yeah. Uh, and then he starts. Uh, he's just Donald Rumsfeld's Donald Rumsfeld's go getter, gopher. 
Yeah. And whenever he goes to visit Scalia to talk, like, to basically talk about his interpretation of uh, presidential power. Well, and this is after Cheney has gotten his office. So yeah. he's not a gopher at this point. Well, he's still working for Rumsfeld. Yes, he just like, has his office in the in the White House. Right, but at that time, I probably had like an actual title as opposed to intern. Right. Um, but but yeah, so that's the moment where he actually realizes his power. And I think it was not even it was the power of the office. Yeah. Not even not even Cheney's power in and of himself. It's because all of a sudden, shortly after that, he's chief of staff. He's you know, he's got these really big jobs that put him directly in effect with the president. And that and and with those relationships, he works, he's able he's to him, he's working working with the most powerful office. Well, and but that's what I mean by recognizing his power, is that he that's where he starts to realize, oh, I can be very powerful behind the scenes. It's not even just like trying to get closer to the office, it's that, oh wow. I can manipulate this into what I want it to be. Right. And it was interesting, too, because you can tell that kind of then his goal is to become president. But you see throughout the movie, he's a terrible public speaker. Right. Um, he's kind of an awkward human. Mm-hmm. Um, Lynn's a lot. You yeah, know, Lynn is a lot. She's a lot. So I feel like, you know, if you don't like Hillary Clinton, you know, I don't know how you would like Lynn Cheney. I yeah. mean, talking about, you know power B word. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, you know, and people don't tend to like that because uh, you're uppity, you know? Right. So, um, Let, let's just go on the record and say that the word uppity is never really used in a connotation that you should be proud of. Correct. <laughs> and um, so it was interesting when they did the poll for him to, for whenever they were thinking about who was next to run for president mm-hmm. and they had Dole up there and things like that. Uh, which was interesting. They didn't touch the Clinton administration at all. Yeah. That was fascinating. Completely scathed over that. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So anyway, um, and Cheney was at the very bottom of the list. He didn't pull well for president presidency. Yeah. Um, and that was, it was interesting because they were disappointed, but having watched the history up until that point, I wasn't surprised at all. No, he was terrible. Like you couldn't talk and, so it was really interesting to see that and, you know, they're heartbroken over that, but then he gets, you know, the ultimate pawn to play his game, mm-hmm. which was really fascinating to watch. Yeah. And that's where like, you know, people talk about, like you said, the reviews that you were talking about where the imagery was a little too much. Um, but I thought, it, I thought it worked really well there because, because the movie is interspersed with, uh, Dick Cheney fly fishing. Mm-hmm. And whenever he is, whenever he is basically defining what his role as the vice president would be uh, to George W. Bush, it's interspersed with him fly fishing and actually like being patient and hooking the fish and reeling it in, and they do that at these perfect moments. Yeah, and sure, it's obvious in a way as far as imagery goes. But okay. Right. Who cares? It was really well done, and we're and today we were in a packed the- theater. Of, I mean, all over the place as far as feelings go. And it was really interesting to hear everybody and hear their reactions. And that really sent home. Like, people were like, oh, like, whoa. And it really made a whole lot of, it, it, I don't know, this movie just made the early 2000s make a little bit more sense. Mm-hmm. 
Well, real quick, so we're about 40 minutes in. Oh, heavens to Yeah, let's take a quick break and let's come back. And there are a couple of things that I want to talk about before we get into like individual performances and things like that. Let's do it. All right, we shall be right back. at all those insta celebrities and been like where do you get your raw jewelry because it's gorgeous or where did you get that female empowerment shirt because i need one but then you think to yourself i don't want to go shopping because it's too selfish what if i could tell you you could get awesome apparel awesome jewelry and it gives back you need to check out rocks jewelry shop that's right rocks r-o-x Rock's Jewelry Shop has amazing jewelry, and I just got a shirt that says, those females are strong as hell. Thank you, Kimmy Schmidt. You can check out Rock's Jewelry Shop online, and with code DATENIGHT, you'll get 15% off. So head on over to Rock's, R-O-X, Jewelry Shop.com, code DATENIGHT for 15% off. And welcome back to Date Night at the Movies. And this week we are talking Adam McKay's Vice starring Christian Bale and Amy Adams. Right. So I think a big part of this conversation we're going to have are going to be on the performances. Um, oh, totally agreed. There's, there's something I want to touch on beforehand. Sure. Uh, so there are scenes in this movie where they are obviously saying something different for the audience than the, uh, than the characters in the room are hearing. Um, yes. Which I think is great. And those are some of the funniest parts in the movie. It's similar to, I recently watched this movie. It just came out on VOD and it's in some theaters. It's called The House That Jack Built. Okay. I can't really recommend this movie. No? Okay. It, it's about, it's a Lars von Trier movie. Are you familiar with a lot of Lars von Trier? No. All right. He did a Dancer in the Dark. He did Dogville. He did Melancholia, Antichrist. Um, sure. Yeah. He, he very, very art house disturbing Danish filmmaker. Okay. I know who you're talking about. Yeah. I have not seen those films. Uh Uh-huh. Melancholy is actually pretty good. And it's actually one of his more palatable ones. Okay. Um, But so I watched The House That Jack Built and it's basically about a serial killer uh, revisiting five specific moments that he feels defined him in his career as a serial killer. Oh, interesting. Um, I've been obsessed with this movie uh, since I first heard about it. Not because I thought it was like it sounded like a fun movie to watch, but I just kept <laughs> hearing things about it. And like against my better judgment, I really wanted to see it. Okay. So you had to go to work a long day, uh, during a day off, uh, recently. And I was like, I'm going to sit down. I'm going to watch it by myself because I did not think it was a movie you would want to see. doesn't sound like something I want to no. see. Uh, and it's got some super disturbing parts in there. I'm not going to talk, uh, talk about them specifically, but, uh, but see this movie as a curio. Basically, if you want to see it, but the first kill, and they play this pretty hardcore in the trailer, so I'm not spoiling anything. Is he picks up Uma Thurman, uh, and he uh, her jack is broken, and she is trying to um, fix her car. Okay. So he takes her to a blacksmith to try and get it fixed, and it doesn't get fixed again. And the whole time she's saying things like, you know, oh, I probably made a mistake. You look like you could be a serial killer, and it's almost like she's goading him into killing her. And then eventually he takes the jack and smashes her in the face with it. And that's Oof. like his first kill. Woof. Yeah. Um, and But like the whole time she's like goading and goading and goading to where you're like, yeah, of course he's about to kill her, you know? But I read an interview with uh, with Matt Dillon, who plays Jack. Okay. And he was talking to Lars von Trier. And as, after he watched it the first time, he's like, wait a minute. She wasn't actually saying any of that. We were just hearing his inner thoughts, weren't weren't we? And he apparently von Trier turns to him and was like, don't give away my secrets. 
Okay. So I thought that was a clever way that they did that because if you watch the movie, they uh, intersperse between like just like her sitting there smiling at him, like you know, a real pretty Uma Thurman smile, uh, and then goes back to her just like egging him on and just being like, like yeah, you're about to die, you know. Interesting. So I thought that was interesting. Now Lars von Trier comes with a lot of, uh, with a lot of baggage in terms of misogyny and subject matter and things like that as well. Well, it sounds like it. Yeah, but, but like you know, that was just an interesting part of the movie. Totally. So. How that relates to here is that whenever I saw these moments in Vice, it reminded me of that. So they talk about a part with the with the uh, omnip- om- omnipotent narrator. He yes. kind of acts as the Ryan Gosling role from The Big Short. Yes, and he kind of like he kind of ends the, the way the Ryan that Ryan Gosling did too. Not in the actual action, but in the way that like what his na- last narration was. Um, I can see. Th- I, I I've not seen The Big Short in a minute, so I can't. I don't know specifically. We'll, we'll talk about that in a second. Okay. Um, but uh, he's like, you know, one of Cheney's one of Cheney's true skills was being able to uh, was being able to make essentially makes bad ideas sound professional. Yes. And the way they illustrated oh, that, yeah, that was so good. It was they illustrated that by not be doing like you know him actually saying a policy position or anything like that. He's like, what if we go out in the White House lawn and take our pants off and we put clown wigs on our penises and we just beat each other off in front of the American people. And, and they're all like, hmm. hmm. Clown wigs, you say? Yeah. No, no, my favorite is they were like, it'll be like puppetry. And one guy goes, I like puppets. Yeah. And you're just like, and at first, your first thought is, oh, wow. And then it's, Oh, brilliant! Yeah, because like, like you can't think of any more th- anything more ridiculous on that. But in hindsight, I can't think of anything more ridiculous than going on to on to a war with no evidence yeah. on who did it. Mm-hmm. So, so there's that moment, and then there's the Shakespeare moment in there. Yes, and I believe it's like a dialogue. From, I believe it's Richard the Third. Mm-hmm. Basically, what happens is whenever uh, Bush first bring, floats to Cheney about being the. Uh, about, vice president. Yeah, being the vice president. And Lynn's initially not on board with it. And she's like, well, well what? neither, is, neither yeah. is Dick. And then she's she's like, well, what are you thinking? And then the narrator says something along the lines of, you know, uh, in a perfect movie, this would be a Shakespearean soliloquy. Uh, and then, like, they're in bed. And they do the scene from, you said it was Richard III, right? I'm pretty sure it's Richard III. I wasn't able to find, like, evidence. And yeah. I didn't have time to pull out my Arden. Yeah. So, um... I believe it is. But, and then they do that perfectly. And it's like, you know, it's with the Shakespearean language and, you know, they start acting a little more in that vein, uh, as opposed to the natural realism that they've had throughout the rest of the movie. And then it cuts to like their interpretation of it, which was just like, you know, so are you in? Yeah, let's do it. So I just, I thought it was very interesting the way that they handled those particular scenes. I just like what they did because it, it heightened it and, you know, for these people, this is a really big deal to go from an absolute loser to have your own office. Then all of a sudden you're like in some of the biggest offices that our government has as far as the White House and the Oval Office go. And that and, you know, Lynn also is such such a fascinating character. She tells him at one point while he's being a total loser, you have to get it together because I could do all of this stuff, but I'm a woman and I can't. Mm-hmm. And man, it is, and it's also very clear that he does a lot of what he do- does for her. Yeah, well, I think that's the motivation that they really give him in this in this movie is that 
is that he's doing it he's doing it for her and like the only real good thing that you can say about him is that he does things for his family like the moment where yeah. he's where he's teaching his daughters how to fish and like you know he's teaching them how to hook a worm and then one of the daughters is like is, is this bad i don't want the worm to get hurt and he's just like oh well, it's not good it's not bad it's fishing and like that was just an interesting an interesting little moment to illustrate the fact and how like you know well yeah dick cheney is who he is but he's trying to make things easier for his daughters and like whenever mm. whenever mary comes out to him and his response to that which is it's just, just as a father yeah and and i remember even hearing that like growing up is that you know dick cheney's got a got a gay daughter and then his whole thing was i don't care i love my daughter you know um so it's just interesting that, and well, and also whenever he talks to George W. Bush, he's like, I know you have to, you have to go against gay marriage, but just so you know, that line for me is drawn in concrete. Right. Uh, and of course he screws all that up by the end of the movie. Totally. Well, it's but, such an... But I just thought it was interesting that like, you know, and it doesn't let him off the hook for any of the bad things. Well, because no. every, every cruel dictator has a family that they love, but they, they didn't, they could have easily made him a cartoon character. I thought it was fascinating, though, because he asked Donald Rumsfeld when he's an intern at one point, or maybe when he gets his office, like, what do we believe? Mm -hmm. And Rumsfeld just laughs. And what I find very interesting as you go through this, you don't hear their campaign. You know, at this point, with the Republican Party, at you know when all of this is kind of taking place, you know some general things. We're, quote, pro-life, we are anti-gay marriage, we're this, we're that, right? We know those things. But you don't ever actually hear what they, anybody, what they believe Mm -hmm. and what they stand for. And it's just these beliefs and actions that aren't grounded in something. And I think... My reaction to a lot of that was watching the Condoleezza Rice character in the bunker during mm-hmm. when 9-11 was happening. And W is like in the air somewhere and Cheney's acting on his own accord. Yeah. And you watch the actress playing Condoleezza Rice, her face, the whole that's how I felt the whole movie. Yeah. It was an utter disbelief and awe of what was happening. Yeah. It was, and they go back to that moment a lot in the movie. So I, I'm really glad they did because it, it's I just identified with her in that moment because that's how it felt throughout the movie. But it was fascinating for someone who, for Cheney, as he's depicted, we wonder where do you stand? Where, where does this all come from? But it, it always goes back to his family. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's. It's the only actual belief he seems to have. Right. And if and Lynn wants power, mm-hmm. so he wants power, and in order to keep that power, he's got to do X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it illustrates it illustrates that so well. Yeah, um, it's it's uh, um, uh, it it floored me. Another thing I really liked. So let's talk about the narrator for a second. <clears throat> um, sure. So the narrator is Kurt. He introduces himself as I'm related to I'm related to Dick, but we'll get into that later. Right. Um, throughout the movie, not only is he like he introduces himself as my name is Kurt. My son and I like watching SpongeBob SquarePants together. 
And like, you know, he's playing. They make him just a normal dude. Yeah, he's the everyman. He's jogging while he's telling the story. At one point, he's like, "Hey, honey, can you uh, can you put the baby in the in the high chair? I need to explain this to these people." Right. And I um I did read some reviews that kind of hated that character. They're wrong. <laughs> I think so. I think they're wrong too. I they used him in the right amount and right kind of where I kind of forgot about him for a second. He came back in. Yeah. And well, so what they do with this character and we're in, if there was a spoiler section of the podcast or this episode, we would be in it right now. Um, so he narrates it. And then at the end of the movie, he's jogging, telling the story. And all of a sudden out of nowhere, he's hit by a car. Yeah. And in that moment, I knew exactly who he was. Because, oh, 100%. He was an organ donor. Yeah, like, it was because like, they had just talked about how Cheney had decided that he, if there was no donor, he was just going to die, and he ate his piece and everything. And then Kurt gets killed, and they they give his heart to Cheney. Um, throughout the movie, Kurt keeps showing up. He's one of the workers at 9-11, or not at 9-11, but at the World Trade Center before it's hit. You see him in a picture. He's one of the soldiers in Iraq, like you know. And at first, I was like, "Is this has this character actually been to all these places?" But in this moment, I real and the last thing that Kurt says. So, I already equated him to the Ryan Gosling character, The Big Short. Yes. Uh, where you leave Ryan Gosling in The Big Short is after the crash happens and everybody makes their money. Uh, he he just says basically basically like, "Yeah, I took the money. You wanted a good guy. That's not me. Sorry." And that's the last thing you hear from him. In this movie, the last thing you hear is Kurt. He's on the autopsy table. uh, All stapled up. All stapled up. And he's looking up at the camera, and he says, uh, Cheney never acknowledged that this heart belonged to somebody else. He only ever called it my new heart. And he was like, I'm dead, and that still pisses me off. So what that said there wasn't that, like, you know, oh, this is what we did to Kurt. Kurt was literally dozens of people throughout this movie. And what that illustrated is how... Dick Cheney's whole life has been stepping on people to get what he needs and not caring about the consequences. Yeah. So the people who Dick Cheney talks about at the end of the movie that, you know, it was my honor to serve you. uh, Yeah, he just took some guy's heart and didn't care. Right. So I I just, like, people who say that they had a problem with Kurt, they're just wrong. Because I I thought that was great, and that part really hit me. I agree. I agree. Yeah, I think my my jaw dropped in that moment. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, some other things, too, just the general movie-making things that I really liked. The This covers a lot of time, mm-hmm. so you have to have a, some sort of narrator to keep this movie cohe- like cohesive yeah. and, and pittering along. But they really show the essence of time through Lynn and Dick um, and like their wardrobe. Uh, they're at a Christmas party at one point and you can tell that's the 90s. Mm-hmm. It Like Lynn literally looks like something I've seen Hillary Clinton wore from an image from the 90s. Like, yeah. So um, I really loved the costuming in this. The makeup in this movie is stellar. Right. There's that point when they're like in bed together. I don't remember at one point what like what they were talking about. But I looked at Christian Bale's hands, mm-hmm. and I was like, "Those aren't Christian Bale's hands. Yeah, those are Dick Cheney's hands. Like, uh, oh, my, just everybody's it. They really it made you feel like it. I could feel the textures and the colors of this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, when they were outside, like I could really, I just felt that this movie was very tactile in its images in general. But I just the makeup and the wardrobe are just phenomenal and really 
really sell sold the narrative but also just really kind of helped guide you along in the storytelling like it wasn't you know all one tale but also they didn't they made them look like they should look Mm -hmm. well i think that's a great segue into talking about the characters and the actors okay yeah so Christian Bale in this movie. Oh my god! I mean, it's still Christian Bale. He's got the things, and he, you know, yeah, he he's got he's got the slight lisp. Uh, well, and he and he tends to already talk without moving his. He doesn't like, he doesn't move his teeth at all when he talks. It, it's almost like he moves his lips, but not his jaw. Yeah, it's bizarre. Mm-hmm. And I've not, you know, again, we were quite young when this administration was in, um, so I don't have a lot of recollection. Although, and also, Dick Cheney wasn't very much in the public eye. Well, that's one thing they say at the very beginning of the movie is they yes. talk about, this is a true story. Well, as true as we can make it because he's one of the most se- famously secretive leaders in the uh, in the world, but we tried our effing best. Yes. So, um, but gosh, I believed every moment of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's easy to talk about a physical transformation in a movie and Christian Bale has always been known for that, you know? Yeah. Um, but like, Seriously, he like that. Apparently, those weren't wigs. He actually shaved his head as the I, movie went on. Yes, he bleached his eyebrows. Uh, he actually put on forty five pounds. Uh, this all gonna, we're gonna have to get him an actual like he's gonna start having heart attacks with those those well, weight loss. Apparently, this is the first time he did it with the help of an actual nutritionist. Okay, because he he was like, I'm getting older and I need I'm more concerned about coming back from this than I used to be. Totally. Um, you know I. I would like to say, that Christian Bale, you don't have to keep doing this because I'm worried about you. Yeah, I know, right? Um, yeah. But, I mean, I just thought he did so well in this movie. Um, I did too. And it, it's beyond just the gaining 45 pounds. Oh, it. and honestly, he could have put a suit on. Mm-hmm. And the makeup, I mean, he still had makeup done. You yeah. know, that's not his skin tone. Well, so. like, in, in American Hustle, uh, he put on that much weight as well. Um, but he was also shirtless a lot in American Hustle. Yeah. In this movie, he was never shirtless or anything. Never. So he, they could have gotten away with just But if that's something that he needed to really feel like this person, Mm -hmm. and I read somewhere he worked his neck out a lot. Yeah. Yeah. He, he exercised a lot to make his neck just naturally thicker. Okay. Yeah. Um, one thing he did, so he was like, I know Adam McKay improvises a lot. So whenever they were, I think they filmed this movie mostly in sequence. I'm not sure. Okay. But whenever they, uh, whenever they were filming a scene in a certain time period, he had to base, he said, it was like, I basically did as much research as I could to know what Cheney knew at that time, what policy positions he might've had. Uh, whenever he had his first heart attack, how much he would have known that it was a heart attack. Well, Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I have a, and something to add on to that. But yeah, keep going. Uh, and basically, like, basically, Adam McKay said something like, you know, Christian was more prepared than I was. And he was like, well, I had to be because I knew what you were about to do. Yeah. Well, and uh, there's an interview on the television. Um, Adam McKay, um, Christian Bale goes, hey, how do you want me to act these heart attacks? Is it like, uh-huh. is my chest hurt? Is it in my extremities? Do my fingers tingle? Apparently, and Adam McKay was like, holy crap, that's a great question. Yeah. And they used different ones at different times, which was really cool. Adam McKay had a heart attack. Yeah, well, that was a piece of IMDb I was going to talk about. Yeah. But yeah, Adam McKay had a heart attack, and he said that because he had those conversations with Christian Bale, he knew what was going on, and he knew how to react. Yeah, well, he said he felt his fingers tingle, and he went, huh, ran upstairs, Mm -hmm. got four baby aspirin, chewed them up. And called 911. Yeah. I was like, that's amazing. Well, all right. So, and then a, 
a little bit of IMDBing on that one. Uh-huh. Adam McKay technically has a cameo in this movie. Where? I can't point it out because I wasn't looking for it at the time. But there's a scene where it's some black and white footage of Dick Cheney's heart getting a stent put in there. At, during Adam McKay's heart attack, and whenever they went in there to do the corrective surgery, he had the camera crew go in there and take that footage. So Adam McKay technically has a cameo in this movie getting a stent put in his heart. Wow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, that's cool. Yeah. That's actually cool. Um, that's amazing. I'm impressed. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, I found that. I That's really interesting information. And also, it's just a really great bit of dramaturgy you know, and understanding when you go into filmmaking process, just how much work goes into it. And, you know, I show up to an audition and my side is covered in notes. Mm-hmm. And I think for the, so, for the, for the non-film industry people, we should say that it's not her actual side, like on her body. Her side is like her script that she goes in there with. Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, and I just think it's a, just an, you know, this is all such a beautiful clarification and you don't just go and make a movie. Um, and, and true, truly good actors are still actors, right? Mm-hmm. They're, you know, some people have to really get in the role and if that's something, you know, if gaining weight helps Christian Bale really feel these characters. But I guess in a way, knowing that Adam McKay does a lot of, um, improv, it would behoove him to just really kind of start to live in that body and yeah. I can I could understand that because do you know how long it took him to shoot this movie? I don't off the top it of my head. It seems like it would have been a long shooting process. Well I know that what Adam McKay's last movie was about three years ago. Um and he wrote this movie uh by himself. Wow. And it's not based off a book or anything. Wow. Um so I would imagine that the pre production wasn't exactly fast. No, I mean and they had people credited with research and Mm -hmm. people who just did research of like news articles and, and some of those speeches had to have been verbatim from, so the, the amount and dramaturgy is the, is the research. Um, it's mostly associated with place, but you know, teaching everybody what's going on and basing the time and the truth and blah, blah, blah. So it's um, the homework done for this movie was incredible. Yeah. It was incredible. Um, and granted, Adam McKay was an adult during this time, right? So that that does help, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, I don't, I don't think that you or I could have made this movie and had it be, be because no. it would have been a hundred percent research for us. Because like, yeah, we were alive. Yeah, when like we were young teenagers whenever Bush was elected, right? But like, we weren't, we're, we weren't watching the news every day. No, and nobody was at that time. Yeah. It's not like now where I wake up and the first thing I do is like, is the world still there? Mm-hmm. So, um, let's talk about Amy Adams. I mean, when is Amy Adams not good? I can't think of a single time. No, Th- this is the first time I've ever seen her look like maybe glamorous isn't the right word because like she wasn't glamorous in uh, the boxing movie, in the fighter, or in Arrival. But like this is the first time where I was like, oh, I am not attracted to Amy Adams. Well, I will say, so another, um, an actress um, that I know that I went to school with, um, Kate, she says, Amy, she said once, she was like, Amy Adams has love handles. She doesn't, no. right? This woman is insane. But you can't help but look at Amy Adams and go, I can relate to you. Right. And she's stunningly beautiful, 
but you can relate to her. I feel the same way about Jessica Chastain. Mm-hmm. Amy Adams is so deeply rooted that I just buy, I mean, I just buy her. And like when she was, um, during Dick Cheney's first heart attack, she went on and went on the, um, the race and kind of took his place for a while. Got him elected. Got him elected. I mean, Lynn Cheney is the reason he did anything. Right. Um, and she starts giving this speech and seeing some of those words come out of Amy Adams's mouth with such truth and conviction. Mm -hmm. I, I was blown. I was blown away. Well, apparently this is the first time Amy Adams actually stayed in character in between takes. Oh, did she? And apparently she would like, she would even like get into in character political debates with uh, Adam McKay. Really? Yeah. So she, you're talking about like Christian Bale living in that body. Amy Adams was living in that mind the whole time. I think you'd have to, I, for myself, I couldn't disagree more uh-huh. with Lynn Cheney. Yeah. Like when she said out loud, um, the women in New York are burning their bras, but we, the women here in Wyoming, wear them. Yeah. And there was a bunch of women in kind of our section who went, oh my God. Yeah. And I highly doubt Amy Adams believes that in truth. I don't know where she stands in anything. I don't think that is something that I would hear out of her mouth. It's no. also not very loving, which... A lot of things I've heard from her are are so so. Yeah. Not that I'm best friends with her, but um, I I can see why she would need to. If that's somebody who's so far from who she is, mm-hmm. I get that. Yeah. Um, no, she's just fantastic, and I think that even though she doesn't have as much screen time as some of the guys do in this movie. Um, yeah. Oh, I don't know. She does have a lot. I mean, it's not. I'm not saying that she's underused or anything, but you know, compared to, especially compared to Christian Bale, uh, she has more than Sam Rockwell. She, well, she does, and she probably has more. All right, so no, no, I think you're right. She has a lot of screen time in this movie, but she like she doesn't have, she doesn't have a thankless role. She's not. <laughs> oh no. She's not playing a cartoon Lady Macbeth, and she's not playing just the doting housewife. Like there is an act. You can actually tell the chemistry and the relationship between these two people. Oh, 100%. Yeah. So, I I mean, she's just awesome. Their whole family dynamic. Uh, I would love to learn more about building that because, uh, not in real life, but in, for the yeah. for filmmaking. Um, Thanks, Jess. And, well, I said it and I was like, <laughs> that sounded really depressing. I'm just going to sit here and I have my feelings hurt. <laughs> <laughs> I, wonder, I wonder if film movies can teach me how to talk to my family. <laughs> um, no, uh just from the little girls till they're grown, mm-hmm. just the way that they interacted with one another, it just felt like watching it. Yeah. It felt like almost document. It just felt very real and rooted. And the chemistry between Christian Bale and Amy Adams was phenomenal. Yeah. Well, I mean, and even though like we did not like American Hustle at all, they at were at all. They were really good together in that movie too. Yeah, I just, the problem with American Hustle is a terrible story. Yeah, and the script was just atrocious. Yeah, the performances weren't the problem with American Hustle. No, well, <laughs> and because all the performances were, were in a different movie. Yeah, they were all like the movie. It wasn't a it wasn't a single story, so that wasn't on them at all. Right. Anyway, <laughs> I hope you en- I hope you enjoyed our "Why We Hate American Hustle" uh, um, and it's not going to be the last time you hear that. Uh, that that's one of those movies that comes up and we're just like it's kind of like Man of Steel. It's like man, that movie had so much potential and just squandered it all. Just stomped on it. Um, all right, 
I don't think anybody else could have played Donald Rumsfeld other than Steve Carell. Well, and no, because his laugh was right. That was Steve Carell's laugh in a way. Yeah, well, like, because Steve Carell... Or at least his office laugh. Yeah. Steve Carell, again, have you ever seen him, even when he was just like Brick Tamlin in Anchorman? I love Brick Tamlin. Yeah, have you ever seen him not be good? No. Like, and he kind of, just like I said about Adam McKay, how he kind of snuck his way into being a very important director and filmmaker, Steve Carell snuck his way into being one of the best American actors right Yeah, now. I mean, we're trying, we're like really clamoring to see Welcome to Marwin. Yeah. Yeah, we'll probably try and do that during the holiday season. Yeah, we're trying. Yeah. There's so many good movies right now. We're, we're working on it. We also have to, you know, live and exist sometimes too. But um, the reason why I say that is not just because... I'm I'm pretty sure there were some facial prosthetics on him because yeah. he doesn't have that much of a double chin in real life. No, and they aged him. Yeah, like they well, made his cheeks more full because I mean he was just on Saturday Night Live, so he. Yeah, I mean Steve Carell's a guy who stays in pretty good shape, you know. Yes. Um, but not only did he look like him, and did he sound like him, and did he have that perfect like weaselly smile oh as well? Oh gosh, yes. But if they would have gotten anybody else to play that, you would have been. Like, you're not supposed to sympathize with Donald Rumsfeld in this movie, but you gotta watch him, and you have to be on board with him in the movie. And anybody else playing him, I think we would've just been like, gotta get this character off the screen. Well, yeah, because as soon as you see Donald Rumsfeld, you're just like... <laughs> but, like, Steve Carell, it's like, okay, I'm willing to see I'm willing to see where you go with this, because it's like, oh, there's a natural charisma and magnetism here. And if, honestly, that's way more magnetic than Donald Rumsfeld ever was. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Like, best thing that could have ever happened to Donald Rumsfeld is that Steve Carell played him in a movie, you know? I know. I just pulled up his picture. I mean, it's really on point. Yeah. Um, but no, I loved him in this movie. You already brought up a great a great time where uh, Christian where Chaney was like, what do we believe? And he just laughs in his face. And shuts but, the door on his yeah, face. But there's that one moment where like he gets scary, uh, where he where uh Rumsfeld looks at Chaney. He's like, "Oh, by the way, your two DUIs came up on uh, came up in the record, and I buried them." Oh, thank you. He's like, "Thank you is what you say to your neighbor whenever she uh, whenever she pulls you off for the first time. You owe me." And he just like that steely gaze. Yeah. I mean, this guy is no one to be effed with. I mean, geez. yeah. Um, Sam Rockwell as George W. Bush. I thought he did a pretty good job, but honestly, I thought that he was probably the least exciting. Well, they kind of set him up that way. Yeah. This was certainly a movie not about W. Right. Like, and I don't know if it's good or bad or ugly or... I I, I don't know. It just is how it is, and maybe upon a second viewing... um, and I haven't seen Oliver Stone's W. Um, You're not missing too much. No, it doesn't sound like it. Um, so it they really just play him off as a pawn. And I have a really hard time belie- believing he was that dupeful. Well, but you know, that is the, and that is the thing that a lot of people say about W is that a lot of the worst things about W came from Cheney and came from Rumsfeld. And this movie definitely takes that point. Whether you whether or not you want to we personally subscribe to that or not, the movie definitely takes that point of view. Um and maybe they overdid it a little bit just in terms of illustrating that point. But I mean I see where they were coming from with it. Yeah. Uh, with that. And maybe that's the reason why he was the least exciting. Like, you know, I 
But I think with Sam Rockwell just being like as, you know, I wouldn't say that he's off the wall, but he is definitely willing to go places that a lot of other actors aren't. I mean, just think Green, uh, Green Mile. Yeah. I mean, a lot, like, and that's, that was what, a very, very supporting role. And he's cray cray. But if they, and I, that's, that's actually, I'm glad you said that because that actually is a good example of what I'm saying is that. Had they not reined that in, it could have easily been a performance like that. Well, it could have been a caricature. Yeah, it could have been... Uh, you remember back in the early 2000s when the guys from South Park had that sitcom on Comedy Central, That's My Bush? No. Well, basically what they did... Uh, it, it was interesting how they did it because they uh, were going to do a sitcom based upon whoever came into the presidency. Yeah. Uh, and then it was either going to be Everybody Loves Al or That's My Bush. Okay. And it wasn't about making fun of them and their policies. It was about just like like ascribing all these like stereotypical sitcom tropes onto the presidency. So like oh, there's okay. the whack, there's he's you know the goofball dad, and then there's the you know uptight wife, and then there's like you know the hey George, it's your neighbor like guy who comes into the applause and things like that. But that was very much like a caricature, right. and this very this very easily could have been that. Yeah, and I believe he wore like a. He had a nose prosthetic that he wore, uh-huh. and he had something that he, I guess he put in his mouth to kind yeah, of, like his upper lip. Yeah, because Bush really talk, talks with like that forwardness in his mouth. Mm-hmm. Um, um, it just it was such a pawn character, and I one there's a lot of facts. There are a lot of facts in this movie, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, I can't be like, well, that's not true. I don't know. Um, but it's really disturbing if it is. That's the thing about this movie is that there are parts of it, like I'm finding myself second guessing, is this actually true? Is this, uh, is this opinion? Is this fact or is this opinion? But I'm willing to give Adam McKay a lot of faith mm-hmm. right now because... Because I know how well researched The Big Short was. Well, um, The Big Short, for example, when I watched it, I was like, okay, this is ridiculous. Yeah. This is ridiculous. And then I started reading. Right. And I read everywhere. And then around the, when The Big Short came out is when I started being a contributing member to NPR. Mm-hmm. And it was like, oh my. So... I, I will say I'm I'm a little scared to go. Okay, like I see you film, I see you. I'm scared to go read. Yeah, because I I tend to think that a lot of this stuff is actually true, and like they even do speculate in here. Like there's the moment during the bunker on 9/11 uh, where they talk about, it and they're like, now of course. Uh, we can't actually say what was said right now, but the real question is during this national crisis, why was why is the first person Cheney started talking to his legal defense? Why was the first person he talked to his legal defense, and why is there documentation of these decisions coming from the vice president? Right. While the president is in the air. Right. So. That's where that's where I'm willing to say to like give a lot of faith into Adam McKay right now. I agree, and this, and he knows what's at stake. If this turns out to be false, granted, we know a lot of it isn't false. A lot of this has already come out as fact. Mm-hmm. There's a lot in this movie we already know, yeah, very blatantly as fact. 
So, um, but it, it's, it has really rocked me. And I'm stressed out after yeah. watching it, but it's really rocked me. Well, we talked about the main characters in this movie. Um, I want to say Tyler Perry did a great job as Colin Powell. Oh, uh, heartbreaking. Yeah. Heart so, breaking. So this movie, like, because I always heard, you know, George Bush created ISIS. And I did, honestly didn't do a whole lot of research in it. Like I've, I never understood it. I've heard bits and pieces of it to know that it's like, okay, I can see why people say that. And, and but, growing up in the middle of all of this, uh-huh. I was like, Al-Qaeda, ISIS, is, is, I thought it's the same thing. Yeah. And then you would learn it's not. And you're this, like, why? This movie draws a clear line. And Colin Powell's scene in this where he has to convince Congress to go to war with Iraq uh, over this tenuous... Uh, like this very, very tenuous connection that he knows isn't right. Uh, well, and he says multiple times leading up to this, Yeah, where's the evidence? He, I need to see the evidence. He I need- fights it hard. And then he still goes and does it. And, you know, Kurt says, you know, Colin Powell later says that this is one of the worst parts, moments of his life. And then I think he resigns pretty soon after that. Yes, he does. So, I mean, Tyler Perry as Colin Powell, again... It's real easy to get on the making fun of Tyler Perry train. Uh, here in Atlanta, I love Tyler Perry because he genuinely revitalized this area, yeah. uh, especially for filmmakers. And not only just like for giving filmmakers jobs, but that brings a lot of money into the state of Georgia and the city of Atlanta. Right. I mean, Tyler Perry, with like him or hate him, he does what he says. Yeah. And he, he is a massive figure in the entertainment industry. Yes. But not only that. And he's a scary dude. He's literally got his own contract yeah. with SAG AFTRA. Yeah. Uh, but. It's a powerful man. But he also, you forget how good he can be whenever he's not just having to be Medea. Like right. in this movie, uh, he was great in Gone Girl. Ooh, he was. Yeah. So, like, I, I loved him in this movie. I did too. And I mean,. Gosh, one thing I can say is everyone did their homework. Yeah. A um, couple other characters I just want to briefly mention. Uh, Lily Rabe as Liz Cheney, the yes. oldest daughter. She was great. Yes. Um, Terry, she's scary. Yeah. And then uh, and then Allison Pill as Mary Cheney, who I I know Allison Pill from Scott Pilgrim. She was the drummer. Oh, f- wonderful. Yeah. They were both great. And then that last scene with Mary. So oh, I... it was heartbreaking. That whole last scene, like that, that was to me, I felt the same way about that as the first time I saw the end of The Godfather. Really? Yeah. It's a lot, it's hard. It's most of this movie, and I, I mean, I've said it three times now. This movie is hard to watch. Yeah. I am grateful it's funny. Yeah. And, and, and it's, and it they makes have light. to make it palatable. Yeah, because it, there is way too many times I squirmed in my seat. Mm-hmm. There were way too many times I was tapping my foot. Yeah. I changed, and granted, I'd sit uncomfortably in seats anyway, especially after five days in the car. Um, but I was uncomfortable. And, um, and the theater listening was all over the place with this movie. Yeah. It wasn't like massive. It was laughter at weird places. It wasn't. People we, were reacting different ways at different times, and it yeah. was great. And people were got angry uh-huh. at points. People were yelling things, um, not you know unconstitutionally or or irreverently, but just in reaction. Yeah, 
and gasps. And it wasn't a whole theater going experience. It was, it was really interesting. And there was some young ladies kind of in front of me. And, you know, when the soliloquy or the, you know, the Shakespeare dialogue came on, they started laughing. And I looked at Jordan and I was like, oh, someone's, someone's recently been reading some Shakespeare and you know, they're young enough or they're literature major, you know, something that they related to that Mm -hmm. and thought that was very funny. Yeah. Right. Cause it's new to them, newer to them, Mm -hmm. but also just like little things that we're experiencing now in, you know, we're approaching 2020 and we're experiencing what we're experiencing. And those young people were reacting to what their truth is right now. Right. With their own gasps. Um, and I felt people our age were quite quiet. Uh huh. I felt quiet in this movie as far as my usual reactions. Yeah. Because I was, I can't believe all of this was going. I was wide awake, but had no clue. And, I just was horrified. Yeah. This movie has left me very shaken. But that's not necessarily a bad thing. No, I mean, I think a successful movie makes you feel, it makes you do. I mean, one movie that I really want us to review is The Secret Life of Walter Mitty. Yeah. Because anytime I start feeling daunted by whatever I'm doing, whether it's a new movie that I've gotten on, a new role that scares me, um, deciding to finish the studio, mm-hmm. <laughs> anything that scares me, I watch Walter Mitty. So movies that scare you or inspire you, that's why we do this. Yeah. And I, I mean, the big short, literally, I think I almost, there was a day after I watched that, I sat on the floor and cried. Yeah. Cause I can't believe people did that. I can't believe they did that. They ruined how we grew up as adults. Yeah. They made it nearly impossible to buy a home mm-hmm. at 30 years old. So, and you know, and there's, we're very lucky to do so. So movies are there and it's just like theater, you know, theater is one of the oldest art forms that is, keeps surviving. It's because we all need to relate and we need to watch other people deal with things because it helps us deal. So no, this me saying it was horrifying isn't a negative review. Right. It has just left me shaken. Yeah. Well, the next movie we're about to go see should hopefully be a decent palate cleanser. Hopefully, yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like uh, our first Christmas in LA. We went and saw. Uh, we went and saw. Did the same thing. Saw two movies in a day. Uh, we went and saw True Grit first, which is a great movie. Great, but uh, it's. Uh, yeah, it's intense. So then we watched Little Fockers afterwards, which was not a great movie. No, it was a lot. It, it, it was an event in time. Yes. To quote Alex, it resembled a movie, um, but like we kind of we did it in that order as a palate cleanser. Looking back on it, you know, would should, we should have seen Little Fockers first, so we could have left on a high note. Right. But. Well, um, I even more so. It's when we first saw the first Hobbit, mm-hmm. and Jordan ruined date night because he was so. Angry. Well, at I that would movie. say that we collectively ruined date night by going to see the Hobbit movie. Touche. And no, but this was the third Hobbit that I got the most mad at. But then it was the third one because we yeah. went home and watched Return of the King. Yeah, we. So you know, it was a four-hour-long movie or whatever it was. And basically, the way that I described the third Hobbit movie is, I got really tired of seeing Jewish stereotypes swing sticks at cartoons. Right. That's what that movie is to me. And. You were angry. Yeah, you were well, vic- you're like vehement about it. Yeah, well, and the way that I described that movie too 
is it's the cinematic equivalent of taking a pee but cutting it off short. <laughs> and it just kind of like stings you and you're left unsettled and things like that. <laughs> Uh, so that's how I felt and I was angry. So we left, we went and saw it at Universal City in North Hollywood. We went to the local Fat Burger because they were still open at 1130. We got a couple of hamburgers and then we went back and we watched Return of the King and just immediately felt better. Yes. Uh, it did fix it. Yeah, it, it did. But, but yeah, no, I, I thought, I don't know what else to talk about this movie. Music. It was, in, it was so good. Yeah. So are you familiar with that composer? No. Okay. His name is Nicholas Bertel. Uh, his first big claim to fame that I found, at least, was he did uh, he did some of the violin parts and additional music for um, Twelve Years a Slave. Oh, okay. Uh, and then he did the soundtrack to The Big Short. Okay. Um, he Which did, was kind of um, it was very bright for The Big Short. Yeah. Um, he but he was nominated for an Academy Award for Moonlight. Oh, wonderful! Yeah. Um, and I like the music in this because it felt very like operatic and theatrical sometimes, but then there were some times where it just kind of like, you know, was kind of mellow. Uh, I, th- I thought that it was hard to really peg down like, you know, cause this movie, it had a couple of places where I could say, oh, that's the theme, but I'm not leaving the theater humming the theme. Yeah, I couldn't pick a theme. Yeah, though. I couldn't either. But in the context of the movie, it worked great and it really helped it flow. Yes. Yes. And, uh, and it... It heightened comedy when it was there, but it also didn't... This isn't a funny movie. No. Again, I this I kind of... This is hyperbolic, but I said it at the beginning of the episode. Uh, this isn't a comedy. It's a horror. Yes. But like, this is really more of a dramatic story with elements of comedy in it. Right. I would say that this is the farthest from comedy Adam McKay has done so far. Yeah. And the music really helped... You know, like when, like when they were talking about putting uh, wigs on their penises for the puppet show. Yeah, the music was also funny. So the music kind of guided you, and it was like. And the scene where it was like the credits midway through the movie, it was like this big swelling. Yeah, like, I was like watching a Hallmark movie. Yeah. So it really helped guide where it, it confirmed. Like, am I supposed to? Oh, it is. Okay, this is funny. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, okay. Or when things were melodramatic, or so I feel like this composer had his work cut out for him because yeah. this movie it is all over the place, mm-hmm. and the narration and the music keep it cohesive and keep you on track. Because yeah. you know, I, I I'm curious on if there are deleted scenes. <laughs> I would love to see them. Uh, I want to see if I can find the shortlist. I can't remember the Oscar shortlist because I can't remember if this is on the shortlist for best score. Right. Which it is. It's uh, award season, so we're. I'm really excited. We're going to be getting um, our screeners in soon, so I'm excited for any movies maybe throughout the year that maybe we've missed. Yeah. Um, because it's award season. It is. So, alright, so um, yeah, Nicholas Patel didn't make it to the shortlist for uh, didn't make it the shortlist for best original score. Really? Uh, yeah. And he's also- I can see that though because it's not I don't know, you know how like when you listen to um, a score if you buy it, right? Yeah. You can, it it's, has tone to it. This is a little, like, there's parts where it was like opera, operatic, very cliche in moments mm-hmm. where it needed to be. Um, I don't say that in, negative, in a negative way. Um, but it's a little all over the place. Yeah. 
Um, I really liked it, though. I did, too. And I think it's an accomplished score. I can see why it's not getting a nod. Yeah. I, I don't think that's offensive. I just can understand where it's where that's coming from. Yeah. All right. Oh, no, it is on the short list, actually. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, we changed sh- our minds. The short list for... This is from the Academy's website themselves. Oh, okay. So this is the short list for original score. We have Annihilation. We have okay. Avengers Infinity War. Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Black Panther. Black Klansman. Crazy Rich Asians. The Death of Stalin. Fantastic Beasts. First Man. If Beale Street Could Talk, which is also Nicholas Bertel. Uh, Isle of Dogs. Mary Poppins Returns. A Quiet Place. Ready Player One and Vice. Wow. Yeah. And they've got narrowed that down to six to eight? Something like that, yeah. Well, um, and I don't vote for, for those of you listening, uh, I don't vote on Academy right. Awards. I vote on the SAG Awards. Yeah. So, yeah, whenever we get screeners, they come from SAG. Uh, we are not yet Academy members. Give us time. Yes. But we do, we have watched a lot of uh, Academy screeners. We do have friends uh-huh. who do vote. And they're very kind to open their homes and movie screenings. Yes. Um, so we like this movie. Yeah. Uh, do you recommend people see it? I do. I actually, this is one of those movies I think you have to see. I do. I would say that this is an important one for you to see. Um, um, it's, a, it's like, it's like us saying the right stuff is an important movie to see. Mm-hmm. Right. It teaches, it teaches you how we got to the moon. Yeah. Um, there are certain movies that are very telling in our, in our story. This is part of our story and our history. And so I think movies like this are very important. And I do also think it's important for people who um, are not Americans to see this. Because like we said earlier, kind of makes us where we are in 2018 make a lot more sense. It, it does. Um, it's disappointingly accurate. Disappointingly accurate. Um, heart-wrenchingly accurate. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would definitely say see this movie. I definitely think you need to be prepared for it because it doesn't gloss over things and it doesn't paint people in a particularly good light. I think the best person who's the person who's painted in the brightest light in this movie, there are two people. Uh, Mary Cheney. Yes. Uh, definitely her is probably the biggest one. And then Colin Powell. And even him, like they don't let him off the hook for what he did. No, because he could have said no. Yeah. So, and it also, it reiterates Colin Powell did not want to do what he did. Right. They made that abundantly clear. But when you are faced with terrifying power or like Lynn said at that party, half this room wants to be us and half this room is scared of us. Right. People in power and who have the ability to do what the Cheneys did, that. How do you say? How do you say no? And it's the the thing that's being talked about in the the women's movement is, you just say by being a man that we should have the power to say no, but you've been taught, and we learn in saying we've been taught to not say no to power, but true when someone truly has dominion, scary, mm-hmm. and this is a scary powerful family. Yeah, very 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 scary. Ooh, you know who we didn't talk about? 
was uh, Scoot, Scooty, uh, Scoot. Oh, Scooter Libby. Yeah. He's great. Well, I, so that was Justin Kirk. I love most, Justin. Most, most people know him from Weeds. But he it was uh, awesome. Yeah, no, he he was great in it. Uh, and he had a really great scene where he was the one who was describing how Cheney had set up the power to work in the White House. Oh, and you know what? It also hit home is, so we just had midterm elections and I, I listened to a lot of things leading up to these elections and how important these tiny little elections matter mm-hmm. because boy, that administration set themselves up to do whatever they exactly. wanted. It was insane. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, I think we're kind of starting to go in circles a little bit. I think so. You know what? I'm proud of us. Yes. No one was buzzed. Did you come close to buzzing me a couple times? No. I came close maybe once or twice. Oh, shoot. But never enough to where I was like, well, no, because it's still within the context of the movie. I was telling stories. Yes. So I think, I, I think dear listeners, you have no idea how hard we had to work for that. <laughs> <laughs> but it is, it's a lovely movie to watch, and it is a really... <laughs> Dis- distinct and specific way of filmmaking. We we spent so. a lot of time talking about like the politics of this movie, and again, in the context of the story, I, what I don't want to get lost is that this is actually just a really good movie. Yeah, and Adam McKay's point of view is really interesting. Yeah, I think like I I can see where people say it's maybe too funny, it's maybe too allegorical, maybe it's too on the nose, like the metaphors mm-hmm. are too too literal, maybe. But, but I really think it's a great form of storytelling. Well, and this is a recent movie, so I think it kind of has to be really on the nose. Yeah, I agree. Um, because because we're still in a place where people, these people are still alive, and they're still able to justify themselves. So if this movie has a point to make, it has to really hit that point hard. I agree, and I'm excited for Adam McKay's next independent movie, like not the Guardians, but yeah. the next one that he wants to make yeah because you could feel you can feel him wanting to make these movies mm-hmm. and that his whole heart's in it and it's really exciting to watch that yeah it's exciting to be a part of that it, at the end of the day when we watch movies what we want is we want to be able to feel the passion behind this behind the scenes yeah um and if you don't you get suicide squad or the hobbit yes oh, a thousand percent the hobbit movies God bless you, Peter Jackson. We love you. Yes. Thank I really want to see his new World War One documentary he just did. I would love to see that. Yeah. But uh We're such documentary hounds. Yeah. But just if you're ever going to go back to Middle Earth, make sure you actually want to. Right. Okay, well then I think we should cut this off before we circle around anymore. I know. Heavens to Betsy, we could talk all day. Um, thank you so much for joining us this week. Make sure you check out our sponsors, um, new sponsor Venic Eyewear coming your way soon, and Rocks Jewelry, and happy holidays, happy new year. Thank you for joining us here at Date Night at the Movies. I'm Jess. I'm Jordan, and we will see you uh, next week. Thank you.